Um, now they move. Now they're going. I found the keyword. All right, we'll let them make their way out. While they're going, you can start turning to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 11. <clears throat> and so this month, uh, or, or really the last few weeks, and we've got a few weeks left, we have been talking about this idea, the attitude of gratitude. And uh, I thought it would be important to point out this morning kind of why we're going down this track. Uh, and so I'm going to read to you 1 Thessalonians 5.18. While you turn to Her Hebrews, I'm going to read to you 1 Thessalonians 5.18. The Bible says this, it says, in everything, now wait, it didn't say in good things, in things that make you happy, in things that are just the way that you want them to be, in things that make you feel pleasant inside or bring you joy. It doesn't say in the things that you want to. It says, in everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God, uh, this is God's will in, for you in Christ Jesus. So here's what we've been told to do, is that we've been told to give thanks in every circumstance of life. And, and I wanted to, the reason that we're calling this sermon series an attitude of gratitude, and, and not just something about thanksgiving, is that this attitude has to permeate every part of our lives. This, this idea that we are thankful for what we've been given, and thankful for what the Lord is doing, even though we may not understand it, is what we're going to talk about today. So Hebrews chapter 11, last week we talked about, um, uh, first we started with uh, thankfulness in our worship. And then last week we talked about thankfulness uh, in times of trouble or in, in difficulties and tribulations. This week we're going to talk about thankfulness when we don't understand. Thankfulness when we don't understand. You know, the hardest times of life are when it just feels like you're walking through the wilderness and God just doesn't care. It's not that he's punishing you. It's not that he's uh, saying no to anything. It's just that you feel like God's just not speaking. He's just not there. He's just not hearing. He's just not moving in your life. And so often in those times, Satan convinces us, or, or he just taps us on the shoulder and keeps telling us that we must be doing something wrong, or we must not be good enough, or God must not be good enough, or something must change. And you know what? He often causes us to make hasty decisions, to get unhappy, to get unsettled in the will of the Lord, because we get convinced that God has to be doing something miraculous in our lives every single day. Well, as you look throughout Scripture, we see over and over and over again that God is most pleased and God is most honored when He is a part of our everyday lives, when He's present in the mundane, when you're dropping your kids off at school, but you're honoring Him in it. When you're going and uh, buying groceries, I almost broke a plate, that was going to be bad. <laughs> when you're going and buying groceries, but you're honoring God through it. That everywhere you go, every step you take, the thankfulness for what God is doing and the work in His life is evident to those around you. Have you ever met anybody that just makes you smile? Doesn't matter what's going on, doesn't matter if they're having a difficult time. I usually don't call people out when they're in the service, but I have to in this situation. I have no choice. Many of you know Miss Ida. So Miss Ida, she jumped. Uh-oh, she's nervous. It's not bad, Miss Ida. Miss Ida, when I met her, uh, and, and Miss Ida, if you don't know, Miss Ida, you're 96, right? 97, sorry, I was a year off. Miss Ida is 97. And last year, Miss Ida broke her hip. And I can remember thinking, oh my goodness, I just am, she must be just so down and depressed and discouraged. 
And I came into the hospital room to visit with Miss Ida, and she cheered me up. Miss Ida cheered me up. She said, oh, it's going to be all right. Everything's fine. I'm all right. I got somebody, uh, Don's over at the house. He's fixing my sink right now, and everything's just going to be just perfect. And I thought, if that's me, like if, if I get a hangnail, I'm like, oh, Leah, I got to i got to just take a week off. I'm, I'm, I'm really struggling. You know, I jammed my finger at basketball, and I just don't feel good. And, I, you know, I had a cold two weeks ago, and, and Leah reminded me that you would have thought I was going through childbirth with the pain. Oh, I, my nose is running, and my, I, that's about it. But that's, it's so terrible. But Miss Ida was going through a difficult time. And, and you know there had to be uncertainty in her mind. Well, is this going to heal? Is this going to be a problem? But she had the attitude that she was going to be thankful because the Lord gave her that day. And the Lord was blessing her. And that was an encouragement to me. And that's something that stuck with me since that day. That no matter, and oftentimes I'm complaining or on the verge of complaining. And remember, I didn't break my hip. I can be happy. I can remember that even if I did break my hip, I should be happy. And I should be joyful. I should be thankful. And so this morning, I thought, you know, we, we too often want God to just monumentally speak into every moment of our lives. We want cash coming in the mail. We want stuff coming through our front door. We think that we've got to be healthy, wealthy, and wise because Jesus owes us something. None of us would verbalize that, right? None of us in our right mind would say out loud that God owes us anything. But in the back of our mind, that's how we behave. In our behavior, that's how we act, is that we think that God's got to be doing something every day in my life. You know, I've got four daughters, and I love my four daughters, but if my four daughters want to get on my bad side, the number one thing they can do is require every moment of my attention. Even if it's just for an hour, if I have to give them my undivided, so I'll give you an example, Mariah. I love Mariah. She's my sweet girl, but Mariah can talk nonstop without taking a breath for a solid four hours if you let her. She is, she will go and go and go. She's six, but man, she knows everything about the world. She'll correct you on every turn. She is uh, all wise, all knowing. And if I were to give it to her, she would take every minute of my attention. So for example, I was sitting on the couch watching a football game yesterday and she came in and said, Dad, can I sit with you? I said, yeah, you can sit with me. And then before I know it, I see a little hand up in front of my face. Mariah, what are you doing? I, uh, I just am going to touch your glasses. Why are you going to touch my glasses? I just want to, just to see what happens. Like, nothing will happen except you will annoy me. And so I just sit here, behave. About two seconds later, hey, Dad, wh which team are we cheering for? We want the red team to win, Mariah. That's all I'll say. I, I don't want any controversy. I'm not going to give any controversy. But we want the red team to win, Mariah. And she said, okay, go red team. And then she gets in front of the TV facing me, go Bulldogs. I'm like, Mariah, I am so glad that you love them, but will you please sit down and watch the show? How many of you have ever been there before where you love your kid and you are dedicated to your kid, but you just need them to just shut up for a minute? Just, and I'm sorry, I'm a pastor. I probably shouldn't say that. As a dad, I probably shouldn't say that to my girls. And I, I, I try not to, but sometimes... That's what you need. Now think about how we are with God. Hey God, I need this, I need this, I need this. Hey, do you see me? Hello, look at me, look at me, look at me. As if God has nothing else going 
but to fit our every whim and to fulfill our every preference and to make us feel his presence in every second while all along I've told my daughters and God has told us I love you and I'm providing for you and I'm taking care of you and I'm giving you all the good things that you need but I don't have to stare at you the whole time. But that's how we sometimes act with God. If you're not doing something to make me, you know, this is, this is our thing nowadays. I need to feel your presence. Okay, well, if, if you eat pizza late enough, you'll feel something's presence. If you, uh, you know, the te- if you go sleep in a different uh, hotel room, that, you know, if you go and travel, you'll feel some presence. I, I, recently someone told me, I just felt a, a presence when I walked in my house, and I thought, well, you, you probably need to lay off the caffeine then, but, uh, but the point is this, God doesn't, he's not interested in every moment of our lives giving us some warm, fuzzy feeling. Now, here's the thing, though. If you'll pay attention and look for the presence of God in your life, look for the work of God in your life, look for the, 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 the handiwork of God around you, it's hard to go through a day and not feel the joy of how much he's blessed you. I'll tell you the truth. I'm sitting here watching the kids sing, uh, and they're singing a fun, joyful song. I'm on the verge of tears singing, God, thank you so much for giving us these kids and for these kids knowing at this young age that you love them. Right? And, and, and little things like that. You know, if you look, we live in Florida. Honestly, there should be at least three or four times a week that you're driving down the road and see a palm tree and think, God, thank you that I'm not in Indiana. I'm sorry. I know, I know you folks are from Indiana. Thank you that I'm not in Kentucky. I know. I, listen, I understand. It's a good place to be from in the winter, for sure. But God has blessed us so greatly. But if we're not careful, we're kind of like Mariah. Hey, look at me. Look at me. God, I need you to do something new for me. It's not that we actually need anything. It's that we fall into this insecurity. And that's what it really is. We want God to make a feeling in our life. We want God to make us feel warm and fuzzy because then we remember and then it's proof to us that God really does love us. Let me tell you something. God only had to prove his love one time. When he sent Jesus Christ to die on the cross for your sins, that was all the proof we ever need to know that he loves us more than he's ever loved anything else, more than we could ever be loved by anybody else, more than we could ever love anything or anyone. God loves us. And he gave his son to die for our sins. So we don't have to be reminded. And so here I want to look at uh, Hebrews chapter 11. And we're going to look at the life of Abraham actually uh, remembered through the Apostle Paul. He talks about Abraham here. So we'll jump into verse number (coughs) 8. And we'll just read down through verse 12. It says this, By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out of a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself received ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, there was born even of one man and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of heaven in number and innumerable as the sand, which is by the seashore. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. God, I thank you so much for loving us. I thank you so much for providing and all the gifts that you've given us. Lord, thank you for the privilege of serving you. 
God, I pray that you just help us to keep our focus on you. Lord, I pray that you just bless your word. Help it to make a difference in our hearts and our minds as we go away this week. In Jesus' name, amen. So I've got four quick points. They are going to be fast today. Uh, I want you to stay with me. But I, I want to talk about the life of Abraham. And I want to make the disclaimer before we jump in. If you know the story of Abraham, we're going to talk about the victorious section of his life. And so what I just gave you the, the introduction of, of that we, we sometimes forget how much God loves us and we want him to speak constantly in our lives, we see the evidence of that later in Abraham's life. If you don't know about Abraham, Abraham was ble- uh, he had the Abrahamic covenant. He was promised by God that he would be the man through his seed, all of the nation of Israel would come forth. So God's chosen people came directly from Abraham. That was the promise. That was the Abrahamic covenant. And the end of this passage in verse 12 where he says, innumerable as the sands of the sea and as the stars in the sky. That's what he's talking about. That all of these people, all of these generations will come forth from Abraham. Well, Abraham was already in his 70s when this promise was made. And so he's like, all right, well, I'll give you some time, God. But, you know, Sarah, she's, the, the, the clock is ticking. You know, we got we to gotta move this along. And so you got to bless us with a child. And they go years and years and years wandering in the desert, wandering, doing what God's called them to do. And before you know it, Abraham starts to question. And you know what Abraham starts to do is he starts to say, well, I think maybe God might need my help, right? So God promised me something, and God told me he was going to do it, but I haven't heard from him in a while, so you know what? I'm going to help God, and I'm going to step in here. And if you don't know, what he did was he took his hand, uh, Sarah's handmaiden, Hagar, and had a child with her. You say, well, that's, that's not exactly what God was planning. No, it wasn't exactly what God was planning. And the son that came from that um, that unholy union reality, that, that son that came from that disobedience to God was Ishmael. Now, if you don't know who Ishmael is, all of Islam is the descendant of Ishmael. So the rival of God's chosen people came forth because of this one thing. Abraham needed to be coddled by God. I want you to think about that. Abraham, it wasn't, God's word wasn't enough for Abraham to stand in faith and say, I know that he's going to complete what he said he was going to complete. And instead, he stepped out and tried to accomplish God's will by his own means. Let me tell you something. As a church, as a Christian, each of us here, we have to be aware that if we set out to accomplish God's mission by our means, it will always result in something that does not honor God. Let me repeat that. If we set out to finish God's mission for our church or for us personally, by our means, it will always result in something that does not honor God. So as we move forward as a church, I want you to be committed with me that we will pray that God will guide us and that God will lead us and that God will be the presence that gives us the direction that we need to follow. And I want you personally to pray that God will speak to you that you will do what he's called you to do. Now, now some of you say, well, I should pray, and if God doesn't speak to me every morning, then I'll just go do what I want to do. He's already spoken to us through his word. He says his mercies are new every morning. Paul said it this way. He said, I die daily. Or in other words, I have chosen to take who I am and set that off because I want to be who God's called me to be. I'm crucified with Christ, yet I live, but it's not me. It's Christ living in me. So here's what I want you to understand. Abraham had the intention to fulfill what God had said. He was going to help God do what he was going to do. And all he did was create the rival to God's chosen people. 
He created the race of people that would end up killing more of God's chosen people that even today still stand as the number one opponent to the Israelites, God's chosen people, to the Jews. You say, well, why is that so important? Here's what I want you to understand. God has a plan for you. Let him do the work for his plan. Let him be the one who instigates. Don't force doors open. Don't try to, to, to sign God's name to your decisions. Allow him to work in your life. So here this morning, I'm going to give you four points to how we do that. How can we be committed to Christ? Because Abraham, it's funny that we get the example of what not to do later in his life, but we get the example of what we should do early on in his life. And so early on is what we're looking at here. The first thing I want you to realize is this. There was a key to this leadership. So the key is this. Verse number 10, we see the Bible says this. He was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. What, what city was Abraham looking for? What was he looking for? Someone yelled out. What, what city has architect and builder of God? What are we talking about now? Heaven. Abraham's vision, even though he was given a promised land. And, and this is where we get off track sometimes. Some people think, well, he's talking about the earthly, you know, the promised land on earth that he's going to. But, but Abraham knew better. Abraham knew the ultimate goal of God in his life was that heaven was the ultimate destination. So I want you to understand first this. So, so the key was this. Number one, his focus was heavenly. His focus was heavenly. You say, why is that important? On earth, there are so many things vying for our attention. Well, you've got to have enough retirement. You've got to have a good house. You've got to have a big car. You've got to have enough money. You've got to do enough stuff. You've got to have a good enough job. And we can spend every waking moment of our lives investing into things that will pass away. We can spend every moment of our lives investing our time, investing our money, investing our efforts in things that will last for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 years, and then in eternity, they don't matter. But here's what Abraham was doing. He said, I'm willing to leave. And if you look, he, he left, uh, he said he obeyed. And, and actually, if you look back in Genesis, it talks about he leaves his home, he leaves his family, he leaves his land, he basically leaves his business. And he says, I'm going to leave all of this because I have a God who called me to do something and he has a place that he's building for me that's far greater than anything that I've built. And so first we have to understand, his focus was heavenly. If we can get a heavenly focus, if we can remember that what we face here on earth, that our trials, that our struggles, that our difficulties, that our uh, confusion, that our victories, everything that we do here on earth is going to pale in comparison to heaven. If we can keep that in mind and remember that heaven's the final destination, <coughs> it's going to cause us to walk closer to Christ. And that's what Abraham did. That was the first thing he did. Second thing is this. The foundation was faith. I want you to notice in verse 8, verse 9, and verse 11, all three of those passages, all three of those verses, start with two words. Simple words, by faith. By faith. By faith. And we see over and over in his life, Abraham early did not require a sign to do what God called him to do. He heard the call of God, and he stepped out by faith. He continued by faith. Sarah had faith to continue. By faith, she lived. She followed. She did what God called her to do. And so we've got to remember, if our, if our focus is heavenly and the, key to, the, the foundation is faith, God's going to be honored in the things that we do in our life. So Abraham first, his focus was heavenly. His foundation was, uh, was faith. And the third thing is this, his family followed in faith. 
You know, we live in a world, uh, even in Christian homes, it is normal and acceptable and kind of the status quo to say, well, I'm just going to let my kids believe what they're going to believe. Well, you know what, I, I don't, you know, I, I don't want to overstep my bounds and, you know, I don't want to force my kids into religion or I don't want to force my kids to go to church or I don't want to make them do anything they don't want to do. Let me tell you something. You have been entrusted with your kids for a short time to point them in the direction that God has called them to go. And the Bible talks about this. He says, children are like arrows in the quiver of a hunter. They're literally, you're aiming them and shooting them, right? How many of you have ever been to summer camp where they do uh, archery? So you've seen your life flash before your eyes. This summer I was there, and I walked over to archery one day and thought, nope, not going back there again. Every kid, every time, doesn't fail, there's some kid pulls the bow back, and Where, where's the target? <laughs> Everyone's dodging and running away. But I want you to think about it. If you went out hunting, you got your bow, you got your arrow, and you just pull it back and let go and say, I'm just going to let that arrow go where it wants to go, is the outcome going to be good? No, it's not going to be good. We're called as family, as parents, to shoot those arrows in the direction that God's called us to shoot them. Listen, there are times, now I, I know you, this is hard to believe, but there are times I wake up Lily for church on Sunday, and she rolls over and says, I don't want to go. Well, of course, then I say, okay, well, you stay home. We'll be back in a couple hours, and we'll pick you up after church. No, that's not what I do. I pull her out of bed physically, set her on the floor, and then she, her attitude seems to change usually. You don't have to do that exactly, but as a parent... Every other area of life, I know what's best for my daughters, and so I won't allow them to do things that are less than the best because I love them, right? If Lily was allowed to, she would drink soda every meal, every day, the rest of her life. She would, and she would look like me by 14. That's what would happen. But as a father, I know that's not what's best for her. So even though she whines and complains, I still make her drink water instead of soda. Well, that's just being a bad dad. If I was a good dad, I would let her make her own decisions. She's her own person. I'm just squelching her personality, and how dare I do that? No. Nobody would say that in their right mind. But somehow, it crosses over into the family life, and we say, well, I don't want to push my kids in any direction. I just want them to make their own decisions. Do you know what kind of decisions 10-year-olds make? Not good ones. That's why you have to supervise them. You know what kind of decisions Mariah makes? I can't even tell you because the things she says, I know for a fact, for example, and, and I probably shouldn't share this and, and I might delete the recording later. Mariah, this morning, I walked into the nursery and she's having an in-depth conversation with Miss Nancy. And I said, Mariah, what are you talking about? She said, and I just listened. She said, Miss Nancy, have you ever seen that show, um, Untold Stories of the ER? And Miss Nancy said, yeah, I've seen that. And she said, well, there was this one last night I was watching, and these two girls come in the ER, and they have a bunch of air in their stomach, and they push on both their stomachs, but only one of them farted. And I said, Mariah, why is that the story that you want to tell on Sunday morning? And the reason is because she doesn't care. She, she's just talking about what makes her smile or what makes her feel good because immaturity and youthfulness and childishness causes you to only go for what makes you laugh, causes you to only go for what makes you feel good, only go for what tastes the best, only go for what you want to do that moment. But let me tell you something, that's not the way life is built. Even though church may not be as fun as sitting home and watching YouTube, we know as parents, you need, the God, you need Jesus in your life, and I'm going to take you to church. 
So here he says, I want you to see that we look at Sarah, and they didn't have children yet, but Sarah had faithfully followed her, her husband and seen God work in Abraham's life, and because Abraham's faith, Sarah was willing to follow. I want you to understand that Sarah's faith was attached to Abraham's faith. Sarah's faith was instigated by Abraham's faith. This is another not popular thing, and I'm sorry that it's not, but I've got to say it anyway. Men are called throughout Scripture to be the leaders of the home. Now, let me, say, let me tell you something. Some of you may say, well, you, that's, that's chauvinist, that's just sexist, you're just, you're just overstepping the bounds. I did not say men were superior. That's not what I said, because they're not. In fact, my wife is way better than me. If you've ever met her, you know that's the truth. But the Bible gives us clearly defined roles. And my role is not more important than my wife's. If I do my role and my wife doesn't do hers, my kids will hate me. That's the truth of the matter. My wife nurtures and loves, and I, I do my best, but if you've ever seen me coach, it's not my forte is not nurturing and, oh, you broke your ankle here. Sl pull yourself over to the side so we can play the game. Get, pull over here. That, like, not, not necessarily that, that bad. But I, I have vision for what I want them to be and what I want them to grow into, and she has vision for what they're feeling right now. And because of our different roles, and, and that may play out different in different families' lives, and that's okay, but I do want you to understand that throughout Scripture, we're given and shown that the husband needs to be the spiritual leader in the home for two very key reasons. Number one, the wife's faith will follow suit. And, and, I, I, and I, this, is, this is controversial, I know it, but I've been doing ministry long enough to know that as soon as a husband stops going to church, it's just a matter of time before everybody else stops too. That's the reality. I don't know why it's that way, but I know that's the way that God constructed it. And so here, the Bible shows us here that Abraham, he lived by faith, and because of his faith, and men, this is a challenge to you, this is an indictment to us, in fact, as well, if you are not living by faith, you cannot expect your wife to, and you must not expect your children to. And when you get to the end of your life and look back at your children and say, why are they where they're at, let me tell you, you have a hand in where they now are. If you don't live by faith and lead, you cannot expect them to learn to live by faith. So here we see his family followed by faith. Next thing we understand, not only the key, but we've got the call. So the key was why Abraham did what God called him to do. But there was a call on Abraham's life. We see that in verse number 8. He says, by faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out, of, uh, out to a place which he was to receive for an inheritance. And he went out, listen to this, not knowing where he was going. He went despite the fact he had no idea where he was going. Imagine that. Let's say your boss comes in your office and says, hey, we want to transfer you. You say, well, where? I'll tell you later. How many of you are signing up? You're signing on the dotted line? Yeah, you're going to end up in Siberia uh, chasing Siberian tigers. Or, you know, that's the one place. Now, I, I said last week, I, told Leah, I, I made fun of Leah because she told God she wasn't going up north. And she said, well, isn't there a place you wouldn't go? I said, Siberia. And she said, well, now we're going to go to Siberia. So... <laughs> Hopefully we won't end up in Siberia, but the point is this, we're not signing up to just go anywhere. The reason Abraham was willing is because he, he knew who was calling him. He knew who was making the call, and so we see here, the first thing about the call is this, he was listening for the call. I mentioned this just a little bit at the start of the sermon, if you will go through your life looking for the hand of God in everything that you're doing, you'll be amazed how often you'll see it. Let me tell you on the opposite side of that. If you go through your life convinced that God is doing nothing, you won't see anything he's doing either. Because you'll be convinced that it's by your work and by your effort and by luck and by chance that all of these things that God's blessing you with are happening. 
That's how we'd still have atheists in the world. I'm amazed that there's still people that can look at a sunrise, a sunset, the intricacy of the human eye, that can look at a beauty, the beauty of a newborn baby, that can look at the, the creation that God has given us and still say, no, there's no God. You know how that happens? They have decided that there's no God, and because of that, everything else in their life is tainted by that, that preconceived notion. Our lives need to be on the opposite end. We need to remember that everything that we do, everything we experience, everything that's been given to us is by the hand of God. All the things, all good things come down from the Father of lights above. That's what we actually studied that passage last week. Every good and perfect gift comes down from Jesus Christ. We need to understand that God is the purpose for everything that you receive joy from. Everything that you love is coming from him. Abraham understood that. And he was listening for the call of God. And because of that, he heard God's call. Not only did he uh, listen for the call, he responded to the call. We see in verse 8, he says, when he was called, he obeyed. He listened and obeyed. This is so crucial for us. So many times we, we stunt our spiritual growth because we see God calling us to do this or to do that. And we're unwilling to step out by faith and do what he's called us to do. Abraham didn't do that. He responded to the call. And finally, I want you to see this, that he acted on that call. This call from God didn't require just Abraham to change his mind. It required Abraham to change his life. And he says here that he obeyed the call by going. He went. He acted on the call because of his faith. And because he knew that heaven was the final destination, regardless of where God was taking him on earth. And so here we see there's the key. Now we've seen the call. Now here's the part that many of us fall behind on is this, is the catch. There's the key, the call, and the hard part is the catch. There's always some difficulty when it comes to following God. There has never been a moment in my life that I chose to step out by faith and do what God called me to do, and it ended up the exact way that I thought it was going to end up, right? So, so even coming here, I've told you the story, talked to Pastor Tom, and I thought, well, Pastor Tom will be here five years, I'll just serve under him and be his youth pastor, we'll build the youth group, you know, things will be really good, and then we'll consider... You know, maybe after that I'll be ready to, to pastor, and that's what will happen. And so I came, actually, <clears throat> almost two years ago to the date, November 1st, I came. November 15th, Tom called me in his office and said, I'm not making it another year. And I thought, at first, I thought, well, what's wrong? With you? Are you sick? Are you, are you dying? He said, no, I'm just not going to make it. You're gonna, I'm going to retire. And so right that moment, there was a huge, ground-shaking faith test that God was giving me. So I said, wait, God, hey, time out. I, I remember praying that night, Lord, I think you made a mistake. You forgot to tell Tom that he's supposed to stay for five more years and so that I can grow with him and learn from him and, and, and be his, you know, his protege and he could be my mentor. That's, that's what's supposed to happen, God. So uh, if you would tonight, you know, work on Tom's heart and remind him that's the goal and then tomorrow everything will be better. We see how that worked out, right? God just followed my plan. But here's the reality. There was a catch. This wasn't what I signed up for. This wasn't what I thought I was doing. But it's far greater, God's plan's far greater than what I had in mind. God's blessing in ways that I didn't expect him to bless, but it's only because it's his plan, it's not my plan. And I've got to follow it by faith. And so here we see uh, that there's a catch, and, and, and in Abraham's life, we see that in verse 8 and 9. He says, when he was called, he obeyed by going out to a place which he received for an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. Verse 9, he says, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, fellow heirs of the same promise. I want you to understand God's timing is so important in this. 
He says here that Abraham with his sons, who would be the eventual uh, patriarchs of, of the, the, the Hebrew people, of the Jewish people, are living in the land that God's promised them as aliens in tents. So if you don't understand what he's saying, they're living almost a peasant lifestyle. If you look at Abraham's background and what he has going into this, he was living like a rich man. He had everything that he could imagine, and he stepped out by faith, and part of that catch, he was going where he didn't know where he was going to go. So the first thing, he didn't know what the final destination was, but he also, he didn't know what his standing would be. He didn't realize that he was going to be an alien for a long time in the land that God had given him before he ever became the king of it, before he, uh, not the king of it, but the ruler of it. Before he ever possessed it, he would be a, a peasant living in a tent with his sons. He would be taking a step down. He wouldn't be promoted. He would be demoted for the cause of Christ. But that was the catch. You know what? Abraham continued. Abraham went on. Not only that, we see that he didn't know how hard it would be. He didn't know the difficulty. And we see that played out multiple times. We see first he talks about living in tents with his two, with his two sons uh, and his grandson, actually. Then he goes further. And so I want you to catch that if Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were living in tents, it wasn't just a couple months, right? You're talking about three generations of family are living in tents. You know, maybe you're in a stage of life where you say, I just haven't seen God's blessing in a long time. I haven't seen him change anything in a long time. I just feel like he doesn't care. He doesn't have a plan. Let me tell you something. Sometimes part of God's plan is for you to stay right where you are and keep on going and keep loving him and keep serving him and keep doing what he's called you to do. But here we understand the last thing he looked at here when we see the catch is he didn't realize how hard it would be. Later, he goes into town, and, and, and if you know the story of Abraham, at one point he lies and says that his wife is his sister because he's afraid that the king is going to think that she's beautiful and steal her. And so instead he says, you're my sister, and then gives her to the king, which I've always thought, Abraham, I don't know that that was really the best idea that you had there. Like, I'm not sure that was the best way to avoid losing your wife by pretending she's your sister and then giving her to somebody else. I don't know if that's a, a game-winning plan there. But Abraham had lots of trials. He, you could tell throughout his life there were many times where he just thought it was over. Like, he thought, he thought that God's plan had fallen through. He thought God wasn't doing it. And that's what eventually pushed him into deciding to try to help God in what he was doing wasn't the right plan. But see, Abraham didn't know how hard it would be. But I want you to see this. And this is going to be our last point today is the culmination. So the key to why Abraham could go through uh, the call, that he would respond to the call, that he would act on the call, the reason that he could go through all of the difficulties that came along with that call was because of the key of his life was faith in God and knowing that heaven was his home. But then we need see here, here is the payoff. Here's what came from this. Because Abraham went, because Abraham responded, because of the faith of Abraham, here is the conclusion. The culmination is this. First thing is this, verse 12, God kept his promise. It says, therefore there was many born, uh, there was born even of one man, now listen to how he says this, there was born of even one man, and him as good as dead at that. So here, here's, how, here's how Paul describes Abraham. He might as well be dead, but he still brought forth all these kids. So, so Abraham, I'm not, I'm not sure if Paul was commenting on the age of Abraham or the uh, foolishness of Abraham. But anyhow, he says, from one man, and that man is good as dead, he says, brought forth uh, descendants as the stars of heaven in number 
and innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So the first thing is that this, even though Abraham failed throughout the process, even though Abraham didn't follow necessarily a linear path that went straight to what God called him to do, God still kept his promise. I want you to understand that God is not in the promise-breaking business. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, I have accepted Christ as my Savior, but I, you know, I'm still just so sinful, or I'm still just so wicked, or I'm still just so broken, and sometimes I wonder if God can really love me despite all this. Let me tell you something. The Bible tells us that if you accept Him, if you call on the name of the Lord, you are saved. Let me tell you something. There's going to be days that you don't feel saved. It's going to break. Daphne, I'm sorry. It's going down. I know. It's going to happen. Um, there's going to be days that you don't act saved. There's going to be days that you don't even want to be saved, right? Some of you have been there where you think, man, I just wish I could say what I want to say to this person right now. But the reality is this. Christ died so that you would be saved. And he's not in the business of breaking promises. In fact, he says, no man, that's you included, can pluck you out of the hands of God. That if you are saved, if you've truly followed Christ, you are a believer, you're saved, you're, 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 your fate is sealed with him. But not only that, not only did he keep his promise, once you see that he miraculously intervened, look at verse number 11, it says, by faith even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive even beyond the proper time of life. Here's what he's saying. She had gone through the change, right? Does everybody understand what's happening? She had gone through menopause. She had lost the ability to have children. You understand why, and, and this kind of helps us sympathize with Abraham. If your wife is no longer of childbearing age, and God said you're supposed to have a child, if you're not close enough to Christ and in faith with him, Logic would say, well, I guess i got to find another one, right? I guess, I guess it's time to find another way to make this happen. But what Abraham forgot is that obstacles to us are not obstacles to God. Impossibilities to us are not impossibilities. My battery is dead. I'm not dead. Um, <laughs> That's that not great timing. We have to remember. It's okay. We're good. You don't have to bring me one. Um, we have to remember that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin, right? So, so it's hard enough 